Welcome everyone to episode 22 of Raw Sport. My name is Amr al Again, massive show, great guest, Mr. Tony Sheen. How are you, buddy? How's things? Does that make me a great guest or a co-host, Amr? Because we have got a very big guest on this morning. Mate, you know what you are. Um, our special guest today is Mr. Nick Stevens. Nick, how are you, buddy? Welcome to the show. Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, Steve-O, you haven't been seen a lot of late in the public domain. Where do we find you this morning? Uh, mate, just out on a job uh, doing a, a couple of crane lifts out down on the Mornington Peninsula, mate. Great part of the world. So a little bit windy out here today, but um, yeah, it's a nice part of the world. Well, for all your Carlton and Port Adelaide fans, I thought, well, you, you did become a coach, but what are you actually doing now for a job? Um, I'm actually operating cranes and um, dogging cranes and um, just working for a crane company down on the Mornington Peninsula. Been doing that for quite a few years now. And um, my fiance and I and little daughter moved down to the peninsula about eight months ago. Oh, that's why you look so healthy. <laughs> Don't know about that, mate. There's a few kegs under there. <laughs> um, Nick, you played 231 games. Uh, awesome career. T take us through those early days, you know, coming in from the TAC Cup, being to transforming into an AFL player. That's happening right now. Many kids are going through the draft system. Um, take people through that experience. Yeah, I think um, for me, it, it was a great experience. I obviously, I got drafted as a 17-year-old from the TAC Cup in a bottom age year. And it was a little bit different back then because every club had one 17-year-old pick. I was fortunate enough to be picked up at pick 25 overall and go to Port Adelaide as their 17-year-old. So I'd spoken to a few clubs, or I'd spoken to every club through that time, and um, I pretty much made it quite public at the time. I didn't want to go into state. Um, my preference was to stay in, in Melbourne, but um, I did end up at Port Adelaide. And look, I had seven seasons over there and loved my time there. It was a great club. We were obviously uh, pretty successful and probably a little bit stiff not to win a few flags over there or at least play off in a couple. And um, as you know, guys, they're hard to make and even harder to win. Well, Steve, back in uh, 2003, your final year at Port Adelaide, you had your best year disposals-wise. What did you put that down to? Oh, probably coming out of contract, mate. <laughs> nah, nah. It's, um, it's one of those things I, I was building over there and had some really good years, consistent years. And I think I was probably fortunate enough to... Through that time, I um, I was pretty consistent. And I guess it's just, um, you know, I had a brilliant coach over there in Choco Williams and a great side. And when you are in a good team, like I talk about it all the time, you used to be able to play in that Port Adelaide side and turn up and just know that you're going you're gonna to win or, you know, you're going to work hard and have a good day because your mates were on the same page and everyone looked after each other. So there wasn't really times where you were struggling if you were the blokes just gave you a, gave you the ball and got you into the game and looked after you and it was a fantastic club to be a part of so we're talking about like brendan laid and josh carr and warren treadray and um brett montgomery and and the like yeah and the biggest the biggest two names you've probably missed there uh tone is josh franco who a lot of people just forget about and don't realize he was a superstar. Josh Franco was a dead set superstar and um, Matty Primus was the other one. You know, you, you play with those blokes in the midfield and 
Primus would hit the ball down your throat, and if he wasn't hitting it down your throat, he was looking after you and blocking for you and really playing like big men do. And, and Josh Franco was just a clearance specialist. So those two guys were just awesome. And Roger James, another guy who a lot of people don't know a lot about, but those three guys were just absolutely stars. Nick, take us through that trade period where you went from Port Adelaide to, to Carlton. What, what, what was it like waiting to pretty much learn your fate, so on, so on? Well, I tell you what, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone said, oh, oh I wish you had gone to Collingwood or I thought you were going to Collingwood because that was the talk <laughs> at the time. But in actual fact, when I said to the club that I was leaving, um, Choco said straight out, well, you're not going to Collingwood. They'd beaten us in a prelim previously, and he said straight out. And anyone that knows Choco, he's a man of his word, and I pretty much knew that he wasn't going to deal with them. Unless they come up with a special deal that was good for Port Adelaide, there was no way I was going to end up at Collingwood. So from the outside noise, everyone thought I was trying to get to Collingwood and would end up at Collingwood, but we pretty much knew from the start that I was going to end up at Carlton because they had the pick to get me and had already organised a, a deal with Western Bulldogs at the time that they were going to get Jade Rawlings because they needed a tool. So from us behind closed doors, we sort of knew that I was going to end up at Blues 99% um, chance. So it wasn't as, I guess, blown up as everyone thinks it was and everything like that. It was pretty much standard from our point of view. It was up to Choco and Collingwood to come up with a deal. And if they didn't, I was going to uh, Carlton. Well, two things out of that, Steve-O, is one, Choco played for Collingwood and was a very good player there. So it's interesting to note that he didn't want you to go there to be successful. And did Collingwood throw up any potential names as traits for you to come back to Victoria and then have somebody go back there? Yeah, there was talk of um, Prestige Como at the time, I think. The media linked a lot of talks to Didac, but that wasn't really um, that true, I don't think. So I'm not sure of the exact players that were thrown up at the time. But I don't think it had anything to do with Choco and playing at Collingwood or anything. I think it was more that the fact they beat us in the prelim, Collingwood needed another midfielder. And if they were to give me up to go there, it strengthened the midfield, I guess, to some extent. And was probably, you know, we all know Collingwood through that time were a very good side and knocking on the door. So I guess from a club point of view, you've got to be pretty strategic in your moves and you're not going to give someone up that's, you know, had a couple of good years and, finding the footy so I could see Choco's point as well and um, the one thing I'll say is Choco was honest from the start he said it wasn't going to happen and it didn't so people sort of thought that we had bad blood or anything like that and it couldn't be further from the truth. Do you have any any regrets leaving considering they want to flag the next year? Yeah thanks for bringing that up it's always a good topic <laughs> but look I, I say openly and a lot of people don't say like a lot of people say oh, I don't have regret or anything like that and to be honest I think it's bullshit because oh, I regret it I regret it every day and that's not a slag at Carlton or anything like that I had a lot of good times at Port Adelaide I, I played with a great side and look I do think what if but I also went to to Carlton and you know had some really good years there and as tough as it was through that time I wouldn't change it for the world but to say, sit here and say I don't regret it would be a lie and I'm not going to say that because who knows what would have happened if I stayed. But I did come home for family reasons and, look, I don't regret that at all because I'm very close with my family and friends and um, I did enjoy that side of it. Could have we been a bit better at Carlton? 
no doubt. But I think the tough times, you know, you learn a lot through those times as well and sort of helped me from a coaching point of view and, and that type of thing. Steve, well, speaking of um, Carlton, are you more of, of a blue blood or a power blood? Um, I get asked that question a lot. Look, I, I love to see both sides do well. Um, and it's very hard to split. But I, I did find myself this year especially sort of wanting Carlton to have success because they have struggled so much. And um, I think it's great to see the powerhouse clubs up and about. And, um, look, I was barricading for both sides. It's probably a good thing to have when they finish in the finals. You can sort of have a, a bit each way and, um, mm. and and you sort of hope you get through and, and do okay. But I was, I was really pleased to see... Um, Carlton go as far as they did, and I think it was an extraordinary effort the second half of the year. Well, sorry, Armand, just before you go on, um, Steve, Armand and I have spoken on previous podcasts about Carlton potentially being the biggest club in Australia, particularly, obviously, in the AFL domain, and the Carlton-Sydney game, and the noise was just overwhelming. I don't know whether you were there, but you having a lot of ties to Carlton, what did you think about you know the finals and all the, the people coming out of the woodwork? Well, I remember Cooter always saying to me, he said, mate, you've never seen this joint, you know, pump lock when we play finals and when the juggernaut gets going, it's just awesome to watch. And this year it really happened. And, you know, I guess if you ask Vossie halfway through the year, he probably thought the other way because they were coming <laughs> for him and there was pressure all, you know, all ways, shapes and sizes. But to his credit, he um, he stuck to it. And, and, you know, they changed a few things around, I think, and, I think they come out of the year really well and it'll be huge um, positive signs for them next year because I just thought they'd run out of steam early in the finals. But to, to win a couple of finals and get that experience, get that exposure to that sort of pressure was great and it's going to hold them in good stead for next year. Steve, I want to take you back a bit. When you when you made the move as a 17-year-old to Port Adelaide, um, there's many kids now that are going to go from living at home to moving interstate. What was that experience like? Do you do, do you have any tips for them? Yeah, look, I, I found it really good. I was probably lucky. I was an apprentice landscaper at the time, so I'd, I'd been working for 12 months and sort of made me grow up a lot through that time. And I probably handled it a little bit better than some kids that are probably, I guess, not a little bit mothered, but, you know, they don't really know what to do. And I, I sort of was pretty advanced for my age, I think, at that time. So the biggest advice I'd... I'd say is just when you get over there is, you know, get to work and train hard and put put your best foot forward because now more than ever, the footy clubs are so um, well set up and structured to help you make it that if you can't make it nowadays, um, it's got to be from pretty much not doing the work or, or not having the right headspace. And I think for me personally, um, I wouldn't change it for the world because I think it made me grow up a lot early days and, and I loved it. I loved going to Adelaide and I moved in with a board member and his family at the time and look don't get me wrong it was tough I still remember my first training session and you know we did a time trial and they weren't happy with the times and they made us do um, I think it was 10 800s and 10 400s on the clock and like for a 17 year old to come in and do that in their first session plus skill work it just wouldn't happen but I remember thinking geez I, I can barely walk to my car here after a 5k time <laughs> trial and doing that and doing an hour and a half of skills. So it was welcome to the big boys. But, you know, it was a great time. And I wish I was coming through now and doing it all now with the resources they got because what a fantastic opportunity to be to play AFL footy. 
Well, because the reason why I ask is because I'm obviously a North Melbourne fan. We've seen the incident with Jason Horn Francis and he went down the old rabbit hole and just, I mean, when, when a club invests in a, in a number one pick, it's, it's huge. You know, he's the future, so on, so on. And he just wanted out of here. Do you think that came from him personally or do you think that the, the club had a bigger role to play? They didn't do their job. I, I think it, it comes from a little bit of both. And this, you know, this isn't a, a slap at North Melbourne because I don't know structurally or internally how they ran or anything like that. But I think everything has got to be right. And if players are leaving, there's there's got to be some sort of reason. And there's obviously two, two of the main reasons. One's family, if they want to be back with family and they think they'll operate better under family and having people close to them. And... Look, there's nothing wrong with that either because everyone's built different and wired different. And if some people need that stability around them, then all well and good. But I think it's up to the clubs to do the homework too and see, hey, how's this kid going to go away from home? Because I remember meeting Port Adelaide and I said to Alan Stewart at the time and Choco that I, I won't go. And Choco was only an assistant at this time. And um, I said to him, look, if you pick me, I'm not going to go interstate because I was trying to call the club's bluff because I was guaranteed to go to Melbourne side. And Choco turned and laughed at me. He said, you'll go. I know you'll go. And then at draft day, they drafted me. And 10 minutes later, I was saying, get me on the plane. Let's get over here and get to work. So I think it's about doing your homework and making sure that you tick every box to know what type of character you're going to get as well. Good answer, Steve. Now, you were um, Gippsland under-18s coach. Um, are there any kids out of the group that you coach now playing in the big league? Uh, yeah, there is. There's a few come through. Um, there's a few that um, have been in and out. And um, Tipper Waddy was one I had. Um, I got back as a 19-year-old and um, got him back. He was fantastic. Tim Memories, the other one um, who come through. He was actually my under-18s captain. And, you know, he was a fantastic... Uh, person, great leader, and look, we all hope that Tim gets back to to the health that he needs to be, and and if he plays footy or whatever happens there as a bonus, but he's just an outstanding lad. Um, you know, we had Nick Graham came through at the time that ended up at Blues and got drafted. Will Hams was at Essendon, um, so those sort of guys were coming through. The the funny one that's involved now is um, Xavier. Uh, Dersma, he, he he was there, but his dad was actually he ran one of our academies over at Langather, and um, his dad was like one of the coaches there in the program and did an outstanding job. And I still remember him running around as a kid, you know, doing all the drills at the back end of the the group. And he was only a young man at that that stage, but to see him come through and um, a lot of Gippsland talent come through the pathway has been a fantastic club and feeder to AFL clubs. So in saying that, do you still get spoken to by a lot of football clubs, recruiters and list managers about who you think would be good to get into the system? Yeah, look, I do have a, a still a very strong connection with recruiters and, and people involved in footy because I've obviously lived and breathed it and, and coached through the systems and pathways. And um, I do speak to them quite often. I, I actually um, spoke to one yesterday and, and messaged a couple about... Um, some players that I'm looking at helping a friend and, and those type of things. So, yeah, I do strongly um, stay in contact with a lot of clubs and I, I think um, you probably know a little bit about that, Reg, I think, from that question. <laughs> it might be. I, I get it asked. I get it asked often and it, sometimes I'm working behind the scenes and I don't know who knows what's, what, what's going on and, and those sort of things. So, 
you know, you just never know who knows what in the AFL world because it's a very small world. It is. Well, I just wanted to pump you up. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. But, um, you know, I'm happy to fly under the radar and do whatever I can because I love seeing kids get drafted, and that's the honest truth. I, I coach for a reason that I, I love developing young men and, and players and seeing them get the opportunity to play at the level because I know what it meant to me, and, and it's just fantastic to see on draft day when guys do get drafted. Nick, I mean, speaking of players getting drafted and so on, what would you say are the key um, features or or things that players need to have in order to get drafted into into today's system? Well, see, this is this is a topic that sort of it's sort of a bit hard for me because I'm a little bit different the way I see things sometimes. Like I think sometimes recruiters. They look at the negatives too much and say a player doesn't do this or do that or whatever. Where I think sometimes you've got to look at the weapons that they bring and and you know develop that and then bring the rest of their game up to the level. And if we do that and we develop players right, we get more consistent players, we get better players into the programs and all that. I think sometimes we're quick to put a line through players because they might not be quite as quick enough or they might not be an elite kick or, or something like that or have elite endurance. But you look back and go, at 17 and 18, how many of us do have elite, you know, things that we do well? And, yeah, there are some getting around, but pretty much every kid that comes through is going to have some sort of weakness, whether it's through their disposal, their speed, their endurance, or their mind and their attitude. So, you know, there's always going to be something, but I'm more of a positive type person that, you know, let's coach their good things really well and bring the others up to speed, and I think we get more players doing that way. So, is there something that when you see, you say, oh, he's got it? Like, is there is there a few um, things about someone that you see? Like, like for example, some, some boxing coaches say, if, if you have determination, you have courage, you've got hard work, I can turn you into, into a world champion, let's say. Right? Yeah, so, it's... It's sort of similar similar scenarios, I guess, because, you know, with a boxer, you see the hand speed of them and the good ones have just got such good hand speed where I see footballers, they're just so clean with the ball. They're clean below their knees. You know, their they're evasive skills, their change of direction, they're the sort of things that you look at and then you go, okay, well, he's good through traffic. Did you see that turn of pace? You know, did you see him steady and dispose of the ball well? But I, I think it's more of the cleanness of the footy below your knees um, that type of thing. If you clean with your hands, you'll go a long way to becoming a very good footballer, especially in the in the common game. So, uh, Steve, and by extension of that, are we phasing out the athlete and bringing back the person with football smarts? I think there is. There's been a definitely a turn in that. That you know, years ago we we're looking at athletes, and then now it's back to traditional footballers. And if you can get both rolled into one, well, you got the perfect player, haven't you? But it is good to see that the actual footballer come back because I look back at when I came through and I was lucky I was always um, elite endurance and a good runner, but I was the tubby little kid that had poor skin folds and those sort of things, probably had a pretty ordinary tan like yours, Tone. But, um, <laughs> you know, those sort of things, I think, I look back and you go, well, maybe I wouldn't have got picked up. Maybe would I, wouldn't I? Like, who knows? But I think some kids are getting overlooked that probably shouldn't be. And, and that's probably the thing from my point of view that, you know, don't expect them to have everything at 18 because they're not going to. Like, 
back in your development programs in the AFL system to develop them. And that's what the good clubs do. And you look at, I look at Geelong, for instance, over the last 15 years, and you look at some of the players that have gone there and how they've developed and not many players have missed from that program. And there's no doubt it's from their development program and their coaches that they've got and the systems that they've got in place. You know, do they get the picks right? Yeah, I'm sure they do. But they also get the development side, you know, right along the way. Wow. Who, who would you say has got the best talent d- development factory in, in the league? Uh, in the AFL system? Yeah. Oh, look, I think Geelong are, are doing it really well. I really do. Um, you know, I think Sydney have been able to rejuvenate players and, and bring players into their programs that probably haven't succeeded at other clubs. Um, well, who are you referring to? Sorry? Who are you referring to? Oh, just players in general, mate. They've, they've, like, you look at players that have come through to um, Sydney's system over the years and you go, well, maybe they're not, a, you know, a special player somewhere else, but they've t- turned them in. And the one that I'll be keen for him to see is um, Adams. You know, if Adams... Taylor, Taylor Adams, Adams if he goes to Sydney, like, let's see how it goes. Because I, I feel that's a, a strange move on his behalf because he's 30, he's had soft tissue injuries and now he's thrown in the mix flying every second week. I'll be really interested to see how that goes because a lot of the time players don't think about this thing. And I'm telling you right now, if you're 30 and above and traveling every second week, sitting on buses, going to hotels, it's a big thing that plays in your preparation. And, you know, Taylor's obviously an ultimate professional in the way he does things, but I'll be really keen to see how he goes at Sydney. And, um, you know, they've got a, a great development program and they seem to make players really good players. So I'm interested to watch that one from afar. Maybe his mental health might actually improve being in Sydney and coming back to North Bondi and having some sunshine around him. I think definitely going to Sydney helps players because if they get out of the bubble, there's no doubt. And now there's just no let off from them. You know, everywhere they go, it's social media, it's media in general, it's people asking questions. And, you know, I probably have this argument with mates all the time because they say, oh, they've got the best job in the world, there's no pressure and that. And I go, you just don't understand. It's break. He was right in the middle of a really good, um, yeah, <laughs> really good delivery. He's, he's just tuned, tuned out. So, uh, well, m- maybe it's his battery, or maybe he's copped a phone call. But um, yeah, I mean, he was. Yeah, he, he was. Well, hopefully we can get him back. But um, that was an incredible uh, he, interview, Armin. He was definitely taking us through through some golden nuggets. And well, we had so many more out. questions for him. Yeah, I mean, back the the travelling factor that he just brought up is really insightful because once you come to think of it that way think just think about it from a regular person's perspective you're traveling every second week you're on buses you're in hotels blah 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 mate it sounds tiring just thinking about it yeah again another point that he alluded to is not being in your own bed i mean just that sanctity of being in your own bed and, and in your own house would be a really big bonus hundred percent. I mean, when you're at home, you can go through your routine comfortably. You know, everything is within arm's length. When, when you're traveling, you got to take everything with you. So yes, yeah. really, really interesting. The, the, the insight that he has given us, it's really unfortunate that he's jumped out. But um, I mean, he was drafted very, very early. A 17-year-old. Yeah. And 
And the reason why I brought up the Jason Horn Francis saga is because I always think about how much North Melbourne would have put in in terms of resources to keep that kid here. Well, and, we assume that, yes. Yeah, well, they're not going to sign a number one pick and just, you know, and then just just disappear, right, and not and, and, and not be there for him. I mean, there, there, there were a few coaches that transitioned at, at the time in, in and out of the club, but it's really disappointing to, to see the investment in the number one pick and then see him go to Port Adelaide and absolutely dominate last this oh, year. Just- I was just about to say the same thing, and I know you and I are North Melbourne supporters, and for whatever reason, he didn't gel with that football club, and Port Adelaide was smart enough to see a very good talent, got him back to Adelaide, living with his mother, and he's proven to be one of the best players in the league, and I think he's third or fourth season. Well, isn't Brendan Lady's stepfather? Uh, I didn't know that, but maybe. I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, okay. Um, so... He's part of the coaching mix there, yeah. Um, and he just fit right in there, and he's playing with a lot of confidence and power to him. Good on him. Yeah. But um, yeah. Unfortunately, we, we've had Steve-O drop out. He doesn't look like he's coming back. So. No, that's okay. I thought it was an inc- a very good twenty-three minutes. He was really insightful and gave us a lot of nuggets that we wouldn't have heard previously. Do you think we'll see him back in the coaching box because he um, got? Look, I, I think a lot of people would love him too. There's just a few issues that he has to iron out with the AFL, which we hope that can um, come to fruition and he can get back to the job that he loves because he's a very good mentor for kids and he's a great player for Carlton and Port Adelaide. He's got an unbelievable football brain. Because yeah, he, he, things, that, that he does. The things that he, that he looks at, I, I, we have multiple guests and, and nobody's alluded to things like him because, I mean... He, he really looks at, at the, the details and he, he gives you a very, very, very different insight. But anyway, all right, Tones, I guess um, we're going to have to wrap it up now. Um, well, I hope maybe Steve-O can um, text us in where he thinks Carlton and Port Adelaide will finish next year and what he thinks of Chris Judd and Brennan Favola. Absolutely, and we can share it on our page. We're, we're running late for, for, for time, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Steve-O. Take care, everyone. We'll catch you all on Friday for episode 23 of Raw Sport. Peace. Peace.